Welcome to Entrench, a 21 Pilots podcast. I hope you all know that I have my computer at full brightness because I'm, I put my fairy lights on and a little candle and that's all the lighting I had. So in order to read my notes, I had to turn my brightness all the way up and it kind of feels like a car's LED lights and it's really annoying, but I'm going to make the sacrifice because I also have my blue light glasses on so I guess you could say I'm prepared. Hopefully I don't sound too bad because I'm also sick and this is also why I wanted to record because I could sound like a frog tomorrow so (laughs) no time like the present. Hello local dreamers, welcome to Entrench. My name is Anna and this is episode 40, Guns for Hands. Make sure you listen to the song beforehand and are ready for an in-depth analysis of track 10 off Vessel. Just as a brief disclaimer, um, there will be discussion of depression and suicidal ideation with this song, but also know that there's a lot of hope in the analysis that I'm doing, so just know that even if you're uncertain about being exposed, overall this podcast is going to be very helpful, so... With that being said, I have a lot of background facts that I found that I wanted to share with you guys. As you know, um, I think especially in the context of Vessel, I would say Guns for Hands is probably one of the biggest notable tracks, so it makes sense that it's appeared a lot. This was the second Vessel single, and it was released on December 26, 2012, right after Christmas. Some may call this Boxing Day. It is... Of course, the fourth... Oh, sorry, I was... Never mind. Um, Ignore the of course. But it was the fourth track on a Migraine EP they came out with. It is bonus track 15 on the Japan-Korea release of Blurry Face, which is interesting. And a live version was performed at South by Southwest in 2014 and released on the Australia-exclusive EP Quiet is Violent. I'm always so intrigued when I hear about all these different EPs, and I think it's kind of cool how they make them unique to different countries um, instead of just giving the U.S. everything. Um, I feel like, yeah, just compared to a lot of other artists I know, I feel like it's one of, at least for me, one of the only artists I've heard of doing that with a lot of unique EPs only for certain countries, which is pretty cool. I'm sure you guys might know other bands or artists who do that, but personally I don't, so I just think that's really cool to see and to share with you. And then, of course, like usual, I have a lot to say about what Tyler said in his Vessel commentary on this track. So when he was talking about Guns for Hands, he told a story of how he played a show in Cincinnati, and a lot of kids came up after the show to discuss suicidal ideation, depression, and everything else associated with it. And so he wondered if it was just a weird coincidence and just that a lot of kids in that particular area happened to also struggle with those things. But then he ended up finding a magazine about a town in New York with many kids also struggling with depression, suicidal ideation, and everything. And so I highlighted a couple direct quotes that he said. Firstly, as a result of what I just shared, he said, it's not just an isolated event. It's something that there's a lot of kids throughout the entire country, even the world, that are struggling with the questions that they have, you know, what's the point, 
What's my purpose? Why am I here? And when you don't have the answers to those questions, sometimes it can lead you to do something that you ultimately shouldn't do. And then the second quote is, so Guns for Hands is talking about, I want to tell you that I know you have the ability to hurt yourself. You do. You have that ability. I feel like a lot of the older generation, when they hear about someone struggling with it, their first reaction is like, no, you're not. You're not struggling with that. Don't think about that. You know, think about something else. You know, you're just trying to get attention. But this song was really trying to say, listen, I know you have the ability to hurt yourself. I recognize that. But let's take that energy and let's point it at something else. Let's divert that. Let's kind of shift that momentum and look at something like art or something like this music specifically, or even point it at me, you know, just point it anywhere, but don't point it at yourself. And I think this song does a good job, of course, of communicating that, which is why he shared that. But I think it is also a very significant, important song because it is specifically addressing suicidal ideation and not shying away from the ways that that expresses itself in people's minds and... I think that's really important because you can only tiptoe around a problem so much um, and when something's this stigmatized, nothing is as impactful as talking about it. Obviously, there's still a line, as we know from their song, Neon Gravestones, but in general, when it comes to things that are stigmatized, the best way to destigmatize is to confront it directly and to talk about it directly instead of beating around the bush using fluffier language or anything like that and so I really appreciate that this song is very straightforward in the way that it addresses that and it's also very personal and it's very emotional and it's also very simple and kind of a coping mechanism at the same time so I'm excited to address and to touch on all of this um all that the song has to offer because while it can be easy especially with a song like this to you know, like I said in the disclaimer, just focus on how it could be negative. I think power in the beauty of Christ and redemption and just the way that we are sitting here analyzing through spirituality, Christianity specifically, is that it brings so much hope. And I don't think I'm reaching just for the sake of the podcast when I say that all of her songs do have hope. And that is a big reason that I have this podcast and that I am sharing this with you. And I'm not just doing it to pass time, but I'm doing it because I think it's it's really easy to just take things surface level. But when you really stop and you think about it in the ways that Tyler hopes and advocates for people to think more, you can really see that there are silver linings around all of these songs, even the ones that seem the darkest, whether that's Guns for Hands, whether that's Goner, whether that's Neon Gravestones. They're all rooted in the belief that it's not the end and there's always hope and there's always the ability for the pain to be redeemed and i you know simply put i think the reason that that's always woven in is because of tyler and josh's belief system darn it i have this candle for my ambiance and the flame just went out so i'm gonna relight it really quick Okay, I feel like I just said a lot of things, and while they're all true, I haven't even touched the actual song yet, so I think we should dig in. I'm not gonna lie, I did give myself caffeine before this just to make sure I had enough energy. (laughs) So, here we are. Okay, 
So the music overall, I don't really have much to say other than it's super fun and it's upbeat um, despite the content of the song. And I think really in just how fun it is, it reminds me of how when you come to understand and accept especially the rhythms of your mental health difficulties and disorders, that's when you can better regulate and in a metaphorical way like you're able to dance and enjoy the tune even if it's negative. I think it's a lot harder to cope and to improve on our mental health when we're just trying to pretend like it doesn't exist somehow or just trying to ignore whatever is going on. And so I think also, in a way, this song does a really good job of unpacking not only what's going on mentally, but also how to very gently and very gradually cope with it. And I think that's also what makes this song very powerful, as well as destigmatizing the topic. So, verse 1, I know what you think in the morning when the sun shines on the ground and shows what you have done. It shows where your mind has gone. And you swear to your parents that it will never happen again. I know. I know what that means. I know. So when the sun shines on the ground, it illuminates and it also emphasizes darkness, emphasizes shadows. And something light does is expose, whereas darkness hides things. And so in the sense of depression and suicidal ideation... I think an example of that is when he says it shows what you have done, like an example would be scabs um, from self-harm. Just trying to think of like a tangible external example of a negative coping skill. And so already we're starting off with this image of something bad being illuminated, um, something wrong, something that wasn't supposed to happen. But it has. And it shows where your mind has gone. And ultimately, his expression in this verse is, I know what that means. After the sun has exposed what's gone on, after it's shown what you've done, after you swear to your parents that it will never happen again, I know what that means. And I think this means a lot of things. It means he knows the guilt and the shame that the subject is experiencing because of the exposure of wrongdoing, whether self-harm or otherwise. I think it can be easy to get stuck in negative coping when you have guilt and shame. And guilt and shame, obviously, with Satan's influence, try very hard to keep you in them so that you can stick to the negative coping instead of positive coping. And I think, you know, swearing to your parents that will never happen again is also proof that there's a lot of guilt and shame present because if you're having to to swear that it will never happen again, chances are they were upset, they were alarmed, and you're really having to reassure them. And I definitely resonate with that with anxiety where um, obviously people just have the best intentions and they want the best for you. And so when something that makes them upset happens that you did to yourself or just in general something upsetting like a panic attack that you can't control or like for me an example of something I could control is like when I picked my face too much but anyway regardless like people can have good intentions and just be like 
oh, well, don't do that, or just, like, shock or anger, like, don't do that, like, stop doing that. Regardless, I think people's reactions to mental health negative coping, it can sometimes perpetuate the guilt and the shame. And I actually was just listening to a sermon from Tyler and Josh's um, home church in Ohio. And it's the series they're doing is on encouragement. And I think that's a good example where what's helpful is not just expressing what people shouldn't be doing or what they should be doing better, but what really encourages people and thus could prevent guilt and shame among relationship is acknowledging the progress they're already making um, or even acknowledging that they have the ability to change or do better, even if they haven't yet. And so I think in that way, like just getting upset with someone or being alarmed with someone or angry with someone for doing something wrong, it's doing a disservice because you're not acknowledging that they, they've done anything right. And that's just skewed and inaccurate because as we know, we're constantly given the redemption. And so more than anything, it's also just not reflective of God's heart, right, and the way that he sees us. And so that's why it's really important to find a healthier way to acknowledge when someone's done something wrong, while also encouraging them in their growth and development so that we can minimize guilt and shame that could be unintentionally caused. But obviously, of course, guilt and shame can come from within as well. And that's where it can obviously be very hard and blinding to self-soothe in those moments, especially if you're in a crisis mentally. But guilt and shame regardless is still inaccurate, even when it comes from within. And so that's one piece of him saying, I know what that means. I think another piece is that in relation to the reassurance toward the parents, he also knows that that means there's people pleasing going on in an attempt at minimizing worry and not just like that sounds like a good thing but it's actually not because it means that the subject is prioritizing the other people over their own well-being because they're smearing it will never happen again and because of the implied negative reaction it probably has happened before and for all we know they they said the same thing before so there is a chance that it could happen again Um, which also exacerbates guilt and shame. But if the focus in the midst of the guilt and shame is to just appease other people, you're going to be sacrificing your own healing and your own health, and you're actually going to be prolonging your own healing because, yeah, it's a lot easier to please others. It's a lot easier to eliminate their worries than it is to look inside yourself instead as the first reaction. And, of course, in this sense, if we're thinking of suicidal ideation, when focusing on others over your own well-being gets so intense and so repetitive and so crisis-filled, it can go from just neglecting your well-being to even faking and overcompensating with reassurance because you know something really bad may happen or has the potential to happen. Um, And I think that is the epitome of the value of others above yourself 
in a self-hatred way is so snowballed that you're not just sitting in guilt and shame, but you're sitting in complete inauthenticity um, in denial of what's actually going on internally and how badly you actually need self-care and help or don't want it even. And so from here, we go into the chorus. I feel like it was hard for me to write notes for this song because all of this song just flows so well together that I didn't want to pause and take notes. I just wanted to keep listening. And I had to go back a couple of times because I just didn't want to stop listening. Like, all of the verses feed so well together. Like, it's really not a song that you should or can feel that you can pause because it's just, it's such a good well-flowed song that stays interesting the whole time and obviously aside from the implications that we already said his statement that he knows what that means feeds into the chorus and an additional meaning which is that you all have guns and you never put the safety on and you all have plans to take it to take it don't take it take it take it i'm trying i'm trying to sleep but I can't when you all have guns for hands. And he repeats that. I think the coolest part about the chorus is we specifically see that not only does he resonate and understand because he's been there, but in his attitude in the chorus, we see that he's not in that crisis state. And that is pivotal to the message of this song is, yes, he has been there, but he's not there now. And if he's not there now, that means other people won't always be there. And if you won't always be there, that means that it's temporary. And if it's temporary, that means you can get out. And you can get out in much more loving and healthy way than what your brain might think is the only way to get out, um, which is very false. And so there's this power of his empathy, this power of his testimony with his temptations and his own suicidal ideation and mental trials he's had, but there's also a lot of hope. These subjects and really the audience that he's speaking to never puts the safety on. They're these guns that they always have, and I think that really shows the fear in how unpredictable can be in a crisis, specifically a deep depressive crisis when you're not thinking rationally it can be really easy to not do things rationally um and to just switch really quickly and the unpredictability and the unknown that that poses is certainly enough to warrant not being able to sleep because of that intensity and in spite of these people having plans, despite it being thought out, he still says, don't take it, which again shows that in spite of him being in that same position before, he's, he found a reason not to. And again, if he found a reason not to and he identifies with these people, that means they can find a reason not to. And I think overall, it just shows that he's advocating and even just speaking on something so personal and who knows where he was at when he wrote this in terms of how fresh his previous struggles were 
it just shows how much purpose and energy is given to the art when you're speaking on something that is really scary and really emotional but you also have this confidence of you can do it because it's taboo but you've been through it and I think that's really important um I think the best way you heal from some of the hardest scariest and certainly the most taboo things is by talking about it by advocating for it and um, obviously it's going to take time it's definitely not something you can just do all at once or share with everyone all at once but there's so much power and self-love that comes from just being authentic with one person and you don't even have to be healed to be authentic you can be in the pit and the ironic thing is having been in a position where I never talked about abuse obviously I've advocated a lot since then but at first, when it was like, I don't even want to talk about it or know if I should, it's crazy how, how many lies build up and how much fear builds up that truly makes you believe that the worst thing in the world is talking about it. Um, the lies Satan weaves that the worst thing in the world could be sharing authenticity of your experience with someone. And I can only imagine it's that same fear with suicidal ideation and very low parts of depression. It's crazy how badly Satan wants us to believe that the very thing that starts healing us could be the thing that is somehow bad for us. And I think that's, in general, one of the worst lies that Satan spreads. He tries so badly to keep us from the things that are going to help us the most. And so chances are, if you're really scared about something, if you're really ashamed about something or feel really guilty about something, the very thing you need to do is to lean into it and share those things. Because fear, guilt, and shame do not come from God. And so the best way to combat those things is to do the thing that feels scary. Because it's, it's going to be a healing that surpasses the feeling of fear. Because the feelings are going to be really strong, but the feelings aren't true. And once you prove to yourself that the feeling isn't true, you start getting power back. Because the other thing is fear, guilt, and shame hold power over you. And even if you think you have power by having a plan, the plan is just driven by fear and guilt and shame. Because it's just a pure snowball of those things that's gotten you to that point. So then verse 2 he says, let's take this a second at a time. Let's take this one song, this one rhyme. Together, let's breathe. Together to the beat. But there's hope on the window, so that's where we'll go. Let's go outside and I'll join hands, but until then, you'll never understand. And then bleeds into the chorus that you all have guns. And I love how this starts, the idea of how to cope. So, given where you're at mentally, given where these people are at mentally, given their thought processes, given the emotions and the lies that they're living with, given the self-harm and that they're struggling with. What we do with that is now we have to be gentle and we have to go slow. So, and the biggest thing I've learned with mental health, despite not having dealt with suicidal ideation, 
is that mental health trials are a mass breakdown of many parts. And I can confidently say that would be true of suicidal ideation as well. When we are in mental health crises of any kind, it's not because of one thing. It's because of a lot of things. Like, one thing doesn't put you into a panic attack. One thing doesn't put you into a spiral. One thing doesn't put you into suicidal ideation. It's a lot of things. When you're anxious, you're anxious about or panicking. It's because a, a lot of things have snowballed a trigger that you have. And same with depression. And I, I would say, like, with anxiety, it kind of feels like the reason you're in crisis is because, generally speaking, not necessarily true in every situation, but the crisis is because you're trying to do too many things at once or think of too many things at once. Because I feel like anxiety is a re- generally a result of fear and overthinking because a lot of anxiety is based on things that aren't even true or real. And it's, it's kind of just this idea that you've forgotten how to do one step at a time. And speaking for myself with depression, when I felt the worst with depression, it's been because of a buildup of things. And mostly either feeling stuck or trapped or obviously feeling isolated is a big part of depression and suicidal ideation. And that could be from a lot of things. That could be from relationships. That could be from avoidance of just internal things or thinking about things Um, that could be from work that could be from school that could be from habits or lack of habits and it's certainly always again an amalgamation of a lot of things and so just know that when you're in crisis it's proof that you've let too many things build up and because of that the way to cope with that is to do the opposite of conglomerating a lot of things and just do one thing at a time so take the second a second at a time just focus on the one song focus on this one rhyme breathe and it's also all things that are slow which especially for anxiety seems counterintuitive that in order to improve you go slow rather than trying to go fast and grab everything and i think that's also proof that mental health struggles have escalated so much is because culture our phones most things in society are wired to try to be as fast as possible in a billion things at once and those are both the two things that escalate our mental distress we're living in a recipe for disaster and the best thing that we can do is counteract that with slowing down and for focusing on one thing at a time. Like with creating, I have a lot of different creative interests. But the only way I'm going to be effective as a creator is to focus on one project at a time. Even if that just means for like one day, one week, one month, whatever it might be. I can't focus on more than one in one period of time. Because I just don't have time. So then he says, there's hope out the window. And I think this is similar to holding on to you. Um, where he talks about the windowsill, and I kind of saw that, again, as a positive picture of looking outside of yourself, being outside of your brain, but also being outside where there's more people. And also, whenever I think of windows, I also immediately think of the sky for some reason, 
And so that also gives me like a heaven symbolism and hope in God and what's beyond the temporary. Let's go outside and all join hands. Until then, you'll never understand. So until you get out of feeling that you're isolated, you'll never understand because of what the chorus says that you're actually not alone. And I think suicidal ideation is probably one of one of if not the most isolating feeling to have and it's one of the things that tries to convince you that you're alone the most out of any life experience or mental experience and so it's such a salve to hear that even in this thing that feels the most isolating the most trapped and alone um, even there you're not alone. Even there, other people have had a similar or the same experience. And I think that just gives all the courage that we need. That it's not just that one other person that Tyler empathizes with it, but it's that a lot of people do. And even just the idea of you're at a concert singing this song, you're literally singing it with people around you who have experienced the same thing. Obviously not everyone, but there's, you know, there's a reason that a lot of people resonate with this music. Um, It's because you're not alone in that. And so then I also like, as a different coping mechanism, it goes into the interlude, which has a tempo change, like Oak to Sleep, and it's just Yaz and then Daz, and it's very easy, and it's very simple. And again, I think that goes along with the coping needs to be simple and it needs to be one thing at a time. And not only is saying yeah and da simple, like even if you don't know the song and the lyrics, you can sing the interlude. But also by saying yeah, you're affirming. Whether directly or not, by singing yeah along with Tyler, you're saying that you're not alone because of the lyrics of this song. You're agreeing with it just because of what's coming out of your mouth, even if he's the one making you say that. And I just think that's really cool. And also with the Da's, I think that reminds me a lot of before you start your day, like the Lada's, where you're not just affirming, you're not just coping in a really simple way, but you also have this gibberish and this wordless groanings that are too deep for words, similar to the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And so then we go into the bridge. We've turned our hands to guns, traded our thumbs for ammunition. I must forewarn you of my disorder or my condition, because when the sun sets, it upsets what's left of my invested interest, interested in putting my fingers to my head. The solution is I see a whole room of these mutant kids. Fused at their wrist, I simply tell them they should shoot at this. Simply suggest my chest and this confused music. It's obviously best for them to turn their guns to a fist. We've turned our hands to guns. Hands are obviously necessary to our bodies for a lot of reasons. But I also think hands are essential for creating things. Without hands, there's there's really not much you can do. Hands are used for instruments. Hands are used for 
makeup. <laughs> I don't know why that was the next thing on my mind. Hands are used for nourishment, for cooking. Hands are used for a lot of types of communication, writing, typing, texting. There's so many things that require hands, and hands can also be for human connection. And so the fact that we've turned this beautiful life-giving thing to guns. Guns are destruction. Guns are death. Guns are pain and suffering. And it just shows how warped we are because of sin nature and how easily our minds can be molded towards sin because it's so tempting, because it's a half-truth. We traded our thumbs for ammunition. The thumbs are the most important part of the hands. Like, if we just had our four other fingers, there's a lot less than we, that we could do. But our hands give us the ability to do so much more, to create so much more, to nourish so much more, and on and on. Whereas ammunition, you know, a gun with no ammunition is just a piece of metal. But the ammunition is what gives it the ability to kill, the ability to harm and create pain. And so in that way, it's not just that we've turned something life-giving into something death-giving, but we've traded the necessity for goodness into the necessity for badness. I must forewarn you of my disorder. Again, his reiterance that he has suffered from suicidal ideation and depression as well. Because when the sun sets... It upsets what's left of my invested interest, interested in putting my fingers to my head. I think whether we realize it or not, nighttime is a powerful metaphor, and it's, it really is an exacerbation of isolation, no matter what your relationship with nighttime is. I think it's very common for everything to be worse at night mentally, because, I mean, you literally are isolated. Most everyone is asleep, and so it can be a lot easier to feel isolated from people. Everything's quiet, so it can feel a lot more isolated to be in your thoughts because there's a lot less noise than during the daytime. It can make you feel a lot more alone because maybe you feel like, well, I should be sleeping because that's what everyone else does now, or I should be slowing, calming my thoughts down because of just the regularity of most people do. And so along those lines, he also emphasizes that nighttime exacerbates this isolation and this lie that he's alone and that a quick fix could, could somehow be a good thing. The solution is I see a whole room of these mutant kids. Again, reiterating he's not the only one who's experienced this fused at the wrist i simply tell them they should shoot at this meaning his chest and music it's best for them to turn their guns to a fist because they're fused at the wrist because it's so hard to extricate the depression suicide ideation instead of you know as he said in his commentary earlier instead of facing it towards yourself face it anywhere else but i like at the end how it says 
it's best for them to turn their guns to a fist instead of looking for harm, looking for pain, guilt, shame, fear. The focus should be anger. Take all the deep emotions that you feel and turn it into anger. Anger at Satan, anger at sin, anger at the injustice that you have to suffer with depression when not everyone does. That you have experienced suicidal ideation when not everyone does. You're certainly not alone, but it's it's also true that not everyone experiences that and that's really frustrating and obviously the world's not supposed to be that way your brain's not supposed to be that way and we're not supposed to believe lies we're not supposed to bathe in our tears and yet we live in a world where that's inevitable and that is a reality and if if pain should be directed anywhere it should be directed at evil And you're not what's evil. Evil has infiltrated your mind, but you're not evil. Your thoughts are proof that there's brokenness and that you're too weak to avoid it. And that's not your fault. And so the focus should be on the fact that it is temporary and it's not going to be forever because as much as this world is broken and as much as we're suffering and it's unjust, It's also not forever, and there is hope that there will be a new world someday without pain and suffering, without depression, without suicidal ideation. And that's really hard to to know and to feel when you're in the midst of it, but all you can do is just take a teeny tiny step of acknowledging that your brain is filled with lies lies right now, or... Maybe you just need to to lie down and try to get some sleep or stare at something that's colorful. There's things you can do even if you can't do much. Even when you can't do much, there's still something you can do. And it might be really tiny and it might seem insignificant, but there's always something. And then the last note I had on the body of the song itself is after this bridge is over... Before it repeats the last chorus, there's a heartbeat. And it's also a reminder that in the midst of your pain, if you're screaming along these lyrics and you're really in a dark place, you're still living. And you're still fighting, even if it doesn't feel like you are, because you're still alive. And that is a huge accomplishment, even if it feels like you didn't do anything. So overall, I think there's two big things to take away from this song. And both of them are really important. The first is that God gives thorns and we also will inevitably experience trials. But that can also be used for connection and advocacy. And in spite of the injustice and things we may never be able to explain or understand, God is able to weave our pain and our suffering into stories that will help others stories that will even encourage our faith in the future because of the arc of how we experienced something in the past that was really hard and then the second thing is believe it or not the quick fix with depression suicidal ideation is actually more destructive than what feels like the harder long fix of staying alive 
And it's easy to just hear that and know that, but um, again, when you're in a crisis, you're not thinking rationally and take it from a rational person that it is more destructive. And just because it's easier doesn't mean it's somehow less destructive or less painful. Yeah, so I hope I hope you can go forward with this and feel the courage to remind people that they're not alone and if you are going through something really hard or you know someone someone who's going through something really hard presence goes a long way don't feel pressured to have the right words or do anything special i think just having someone present is really important giving them something to focus on that's not the crisis but also giving people spaces to talk or at least the space to feel safe to talk whenever they might get the courage to do so because it can it can take a while to get there but also affirming that they're not alone in their experience because stuff can be really isolating and scary with mental health when you believe that you're alone in the experience that somehow you are lacking something everyone else has so that's really important too I want to hear from you. You can email entrenchpodcast at gmail.com with a written account of your 21 Pilots story or your favorite memories you have related to the band. You can also reach out with an episode request if you want to analyze a song, video, or album with me. And if you'd like to contribute to the analysis we've already covered, you can join the podcast Facebook group by searching Entrench Podcast Group. You can find Entrench on Podbean, Verbal, Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music, among other platforms. On Instagram, you can find me at Entrench underscore pod. I look forward to hearing from you. Tune in next time for the Guns for Hands music video. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Stay alive and remember, Entrench, you're not alone.